0: Live. Hello, this is William Fink. This is Christoginia Saturdays. Today is Saturday, May 19th, 2012. Today I'm going to do something a little different. Well, well every, sa- every once in a while I try to do something a little different on a Saturday. Today I'm going to present a paper I wrote earlier this week entitled The Judas Goats, it goes hand-in-hand hand with the paper. I think that it's really just an extension of a paper I wrote last month called Lambs to the Slaughter, and that podcast was probably my most popular podcast in over a year. It's had 7,000 downloads just about in six weeks. I'm, I'm not bragging. That's just the way it is. It, it, sometimes you do things that people like, and sometimes you do things that people ignore. Well, well tonight I have Carolyn Yeager with me, and... and um. And, and we're going to present my paper to Judas Goats. I'd like to say one thing in opening, and, and that uh, I, I had this thought the other night after a conversation with Severus on the Christian chat server, and, and I, I went to bed after my conversation with him, and, and I, I, I thought that... Um, I thought to write this, if, if man believes that his rights are endowed by the Creator as the founders of this nation recognized, then man understands that those rights are inalienable. Rights passed down from God are inalienable, that you cannot be separated from them. If man believes that his morals are passed down from God, as the founders of this nation also recognized, then man understands that those morals are immutable. They are not negotiable, they are steady, and they are constant because they're passed down from God. Yet, in recent times, and and I would say probably in the last century, man has allowed the Jew to litigate God out of modern society. And that is why we now have no rights and no morals. And, And tonight's program is going to be a reflection of that very thing. Hello, Carolyn.
1: Hi, Bill. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Thank you. How are we doing tonight?
1: Doing very well. I hope my voice. You know the way we're doing this. Uh, last time we did it this way, I thought I sounded like I was blaring out. You know when I first spoke out, kind of like shouting. Um, so I'm going to try to be quiet. If I'm too quiet, tell me. <laughs> or or you're the guy who's running the show. Tell me if, I, if my sound is if, I'm, uh, if my sound is okay. So I will try to be um, not. Blurt things out too fast.
0: Well, well, the people in the chat said that the sound is good. I, I can't.
1: Okay, good.
0: The Skype level, volume level here, I'm, I'm looking, and I really can't. But evidently, I don't have to. So, no. okay, hello. this is the um, the Judas Goats. Well, when I was visiting with Clifton Emma Heiser earlier this month, I had the good pleasure of meeting. Some old and dear friends of his, a long-time Christian identity, Christian Israel identity family. And as I got out of the van, we were greeted by several children who had been playing on a lawn. One of them was a 10-year-old girl, and and she was a charming young lady, and her name was Rebecca. And and bright and and smiling, she already knew my name. She said, hello, Rebecca. Hello, William. And, And I was surprised by that. And I had learned that Rebecca had already known me from many of the Christagenia recordings that she listened to with her uncle. She has a whole bunch of uncles, and and many of them read Clifton's writing and and know Clifton well and, and listen to the podcasts. Rebecca had been anticipating my visit that day. This inquisitive young lady had a lot of things to tell me, and she had lots of questions, and <laughs> we all know how little girls are, right? And, and she was charming, and I, I was once a father of six children, so I know how inquisitive children can be. And I was more than happy to entertain her. And and I thought that that was very good. Uh, I was a little taken aback. She said, William, are you a racist? And and that's what she said to me. And I realized that she must have already known the answer. Of course, she'd been listening to my podcast for a long time. and, And perhaps she just wanted to hear it from the horse's mouth. I, I, and and the, we don't like that word racist, you know, the Marxist terminology. But we have to forgive it because our our society is awash in it. And and a ten year old girl isn't going to understand that. I, I don't think. So so I I simply um I, I simply answered yes, Rebecca. I am a racist. And and she looked at me and smiled and she said, Well, I'm a racist too. And and that That just um made my heart melt, right, I thought that was wonderful, and, and I forget my exact words to her, but it was something about God being the author of race and and if we love. God's creation, and we love God and, and, and his nature and, and the things in the world, and we're going to love our own kind, and we're going to seek to preserve that, if that makes us racist, well, well so be it, and, and that's the attitude that we should have, because we love God and his creation, and we seek to preserve it, and that includes the preservation of our own kind. And God's first commandment, and I explain this to Rebecca, is kind after kind and everything after its kind. And I believe that Rebecca's proclamation was formulated through her having heard such things, as I repeat it often on my programs. But that alone shows how impressionable young children are. They, they Adopt ideas that they learn from their parents and, and, and their wider family and their friends at school. Sometimes those ideas are bad and sometimes they're good.
1: Well, William, let me just stick in here that um, I, I I'm not surprised that your meeting with Rebecca caused you to write a whole paper. I think that ten-year-old girls and or ten-year-olds, but particularly ten-year-old girls, right there, ideal age of childhood. And I, I just think that for, that's fourth grade, as far as I know. And I think fourth grade is just a, a wonderful age, a wonderful time for um, young, well, I'll say young white girls. And uh, I would love to meet Rebecca myself and be able to talk to her. So I think I've really enjoyed uh, what you wrote about her.
0: Well, does an intelligent young lady like Rebecca – really have a chance at maintaining those convictions into adulthood in today's school system. You know, I pray that she does, but the odds are certainly against her. In today's world, to the casual observer, it may seem that older white girls who date or marry white boys quite often simply do so because there aren't enough Negroes to go around. That's the impression I get from watching these kids today. And and with each passing generation, this satanic war of attrition against the white race is all the more evident. It's that their children are bombarded by the media. They're bombarded with with you know the idea that race mixing is good and cool and in schools and and they're all just sucking it up, just like when we were children, we sucked up the the, the um the culture of the fifties and sixties, I guess, right.
1: Well, I, I don't know that all girls are, I, you know, I don't think that all schools, that's so thick, that's going on so thick, but it certainly is, is uh, available there, and I think it's a, it's a temptation, and I think it, it's pushed to see all the, all the kids the same, and so for little girls to see all the boys the same and not just think that, you know, they should stick with white boys. So this is very, very dangerous. Um, even though uh, I think, I still, I still think, and from what I saw, but it's been a while since I was in the school, but uh, still, it, like uh, wants to stick with like, and there's not as much um, uh, of that mixing, except um, mostly the, the ideas get all mixed up. And so you get the, the culture, the black culture, uh, is, is often copied by, by the white kids. But as far as dating, I don't think there's too much, but I think probably uh, where I live is different, and, and it's, in, it's uh, different in different parts of the country. So some places it would be like what you're saying.
0: Well, well I live outside of a little town of 8,000 8, people, 8,500 people, and it seems to me that I see it more and more often where I see white girls with, with, um, with Negroes, and, and it's absolutely sickening especially in a little town like this where there are a lot of um, a lot of farms, a lot of rural culture, and a lot of good white boys.
1: But, well, where are all those black boys coming from where you live? I don't get it. Well, um, and, and are you talking about uh, school-age kids or older? Yes,
0: school-age kids, and I've seen more and more black youths in this town the last three years. Each year it seems like there are more of them, and, and a lot of people that, that talk to me in my chat, that live in small towns have noticed the same thing, mm-hmm. and, and we're really believing. And, and this is outside of well, well here the, the the nearest city to me is an hour away, right? It's Binghamton. It's like 50 minutes away, and, and it's about a hundred and it's a little over a hundred thousand people, Binghamton. A, and there's one in the north, and it's Utica, yeah. and that's about an hour away, and and that's smaller. And um, other than that, you know the real the, the first real city near me is New York City. It's five hours away. But well um, it seems to us and, and there are people that live outside Harrisburg and Miami and Jacksonville, and all kinds of people in in, in my chat server who live within an hour of, of a large city and, and it seems that they are somehow through the um, section eight housing, and through the state welfare agencies, they are encouraging Negro families to move into small towns throughout the, throughout the country. That they're yeah. purposely moving these Negro families into the suburbs and into small towns, and they're doing it through Section 8 housing, primarily.
1: Yeah, well, I believe that. I'm sure and, and by
0: coaxing homeowners or, or property owners to, to, to accept Section 8. Well which is a good deal for the property owners because then if, if they're accepting the, the state payment for, for um, their property then then they're they're guaranteed to collect their rents, right? So so right. carrot that they hang out for the property owners and the property owners, the white property owners are more than willing to go along with it.
1: Just yes, to, so but, but I I still think I'm just saying that I think that that the 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 sense the racial sense of most people, even young people is still that they uh, that they prefer someone of their own race. but it is true that there's more and more of a um, well uh, they're encouraged to overlook that and to not not think like that and so then they think that they find themselves being friendly being too friendly with uh with a lot of uh, people, kids of the opposite sex that um, and then one thing leads to another, so but i don't know I think uh that there are certain there's a certain type of uh white person, white kids still who would not who who are not going to succumb to that not for a long not 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 today yet, but okay. still there 's too much of it i mean and you see it in the i mean when i just you know Yahoo is my home page, I think I need to change i 'm sick of it every time i you know i go there uh it's always it's always. Uh, black pictures of black people and then there's a bit of black and white and mixed mixed couples and so on it's just pushed at you all the time
0: I, I just put a a a, um, a picture that that was shown to me last night on my chat server uh, by the people there uh, I just put it on the front page of Christagenia. it's a it's an official United States Navy. Um, health awareness or or I don't know what you want oh to yeah, i
1: thought
0: type I saw. of poster and it shows a, a white woman embracing a negro and and, and ha- she has this fawning um look on her face and and it's absolutely sickening and it it talks about safe sex and and I made a blurb that safe sex is. Staying with somebody of your own species—that that's the first step in sage sex, right? Yeah. Well, well, yes. It's, yeah. That, it's in that picture, I'm, it's
1: like it's, it's like what it showed was uh, the attraction between those two as purely sexual, you know, and kind of uh, like well, let's try this, you know, kind of an attitude or something. In well, right,
0: it's bestiality. It's 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 basically <laughs> what it is. I can't describe it any other way.
1: Yes, that's what you called it.
0: Well, well, Rebecca told me about her school teacher. How how her school teacher had broken down and sobbed during a discussion of slavery for Black History Month this past February. And in my essay, I use that as an example because if we knew the truth about history, we wouldn't fall. For that propaganda. And if Rebecca's school teacher knew the truth about history, she wouldn't break down and cry when she thought about slavery. And if the Negroes had, first, if they had any history of their own worth celebrating, it wouldn't require a government sponsored annual charade in order to be commemorated. I mean, if you have a history and a culture that are rich and worth celebrating, you don't have to lay aside a month to do it. I mean, you do it all the time. That the um, the attitudes of Rebecca's school teacher reflect the pure propaganda, the absolutely false version of history being promoted by universities today in pursuit of the artificial magnification and empowerment of the minorities, and and the the groups that are considered disadvantaged, and they're actually disadvantaged because they simply don't have the tools to function as whites do in, in a civil society. They simply don't have the tools to do so. That's why they're disadvantaged. Liberalism fails to recognize that if any groups are disadvantaged in our... Our society's been free and open for a long time now, and if groups are disadvantaged, it's only because they lack... The ethics and a discipline required to succeed. It, it's that simple. It's plainly evident. Uh, I mean, they've had an enforced advantage d- these minorities for for decades now, and they're still disadvantaged. Mm-hmm. They're always going to be disadvantaged because it, it's like trying to and you know make laws that enforce dogs to act like cats. It, it doesn't happen, right? It's ridiculous.
1: Oh, you know what what race Rebecca's teacher is.
0: She was white. Rebecca told me that her teacher was white, which is mm-hmm. it, 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 which is why it's you know which is why it's worth mentioning because so many white women and men. But but you know I I think that the women actually fall to it first because the woman naturally has a lot more empathy than a man does. And that's my opinion. You might differ in that, but that's my my observation. But but yeah,
1: well, a lot of women do. Uh, I I don't. I'm a little bit. Um, I don't. Well, I don't know. Uh, some things that. Well, I won't go into that. But um, you know, this is when I experienced some of this when I was substitute teaching, and I got into the lower grades and into a fourth grade class. I substituted for this teacher who was a fourth grade teacher fairly often for a while and um, and yeah the uh, the lessons uh, like for black history are so extreme and they they cause these students to feel like the most terrible injustice unbelievably unjust was done to to the black race and that we're all responsible for it and it, it gets very emotional plus they show Films that are made by Jewish filmmakers uh, for these subjects, you know, and uh, and they're they're inaccurate, they're extremist, and uh, you know this this sets a tone, and this is going on, and and this was like five oh five, over five between five and ten years ago, probably already, or five, maybe not that long, but. Um, where, where these these kids get all emotional in the classroom and the non-white kids start uh, this one girl had was having a started screaming you know not screaming but um, yelling out about how how unjust it all was and how these how these, what, what these whites did to the to the colored people and and she went on and on and the white kids are just sitting there um, and of course I was there as a substitute teacher so um, I finally told her to be quiet. I mean, I finally managed to quiet her down. But I, I wonder what goes on with the teacher because they told me uh, that. Um, well, uh, I, I would say that all these teachers in these schools, all these grade school teachers, they are, they're all about the same. They they all accept this and they all teach it this way. And some are maybe more extreme than others. But it's it's. Um, it's shocking. It's shocking if you if you care about white people and you're and you see what's going on there. It's really shocking.
0: Well, well, I've never told you this before. I've never. I, I don't speak about this often, but I did work for the Jersey City public school system for one year, was mm-hmm. 1985 and 86, I think it was. And, and I found the same thing that they all just go along with the flow. A lot of the women I, I found were truly liberal, and and I was always an. an a reactionary, as far as politics was concerned, a lot of the women were truly liberal, and I found that that was because their empathy, that their um, their, their nurturing instinct, you, you know, and that's the way women are made, and, and from my ass from from my um, perspective, and the men that weren't liberal, they, they never talked against it, they just went along with the flow. You, you know, have
1: to, you yeah. have to, because if you don't, um, you're going to be in trouble.
0: Well, well, right, but that shows that they that they worship Mammon, right? They care more about their paychecks than what's actually going on in society. That that's the way. I look. Well,
1: it's more than a paycheck. I mean, it's paycheck, but uh, you can't be a teacher if you're going to go against this. I mean, you're going to be you're going to be let go, you know, real fast. So your career is gone. It's not, you know, I mean, maybe you decide to be a teacher, and uh, so uh, then you find out that you. Uh, probably most people though don't have that much trouble going along with it because they're basically brainwashed into a lot of it anyway even the men
0: well well that's why i i, I called this article the judas goats because school teachers well well judas goats don't naturally lead the sheep to slaughter goats can can graze along with the sheep and and the goats and the sheep that they're different And I'm sure they know that the goats and the sheep are different, that they sense that the other animals are different and flock together with their own kind. And and that's evident in the pasture. But the Judas goat is trained to lead the sheep to slaughter. And, And that's our school teachers are being trained and compelled to lead the children into this Marxist society. And they've been going along with it for, I don't know how many years, maybe you know how many, I don't know how it's 40, 50, 60 years. Well,
1: a long time, uh, because they started, came out with those, uh, liberal schools, um, methods of teaching and so on a long time ago, uh, back in the twenties and thirties and stuff. But, uh, but, you know, I went through some teacher training when I decided foolishly, (laughs) it was not a very good decision, but, uh, I had started substituting for uh, as a part-time thing, and then I once I got into school there, I thought, well, gee, I I should just do a little bit more here and become a teacher. And I got into got thinking I wanted to be a teacher. So uh, there was this program that you could take that, uh, called an accelerated program because I had already been uh, uh, licensed as a teacher uh, back a uh, long time before, but I found out that that was so so long ago that it was no longer. Any good, so I started out thinking it was going to be a summer thing, and then I would be a teacher. But it turned out to be that summer, and then another whole year while I was teaching. And since I managed to get a teaching position, I could continue with the program. Anyway, I got into it and just you know ended up staying in. It. And that's how a lot of teachers do once they once they are trained as a teacher and they get they they get their uh, um, it's not called a license but whatever you get you know to from the state, uh, then you want to make use of it. You don't want to just have wasted all that time. And believe me, teacher training is so boring. And these classes, uh, they did exactly what you said. I mean, they they, they require uh, everyone. The focus is on you're going to have a mixed classroom. It's mostly they talk about mixed ability, not mixed race, but it's the same thing. And uh, and you have to uh, adjust to give everybody the ideal uh, education that they need within this mixed group. And uh, and boy, you better not think uh, think you better not distinguish between them as you know some being better than others or anything like that. Or you better not have any prejudices or any preferences, or or you it's just not going to work for you. So uh, these people get into that frame of mind, and they're young. Women mostly, uh, who are not the brightest either. You know, uh, they're far from being the brightest people uh, who go to college. So um, this is what you get, and they find their, their niche there. And as long as they play along with the play the game, they'll be there until they retire.
0: Well, well I know it has attractiveness as a good job, but we always thought that those who can't do teach. Uh, I'm not being um, disparaging. That, that's well, my,
1: my father always said that. He always said, that. right. Well, <laughs> he didn't have much respect for teachers.
0: <laughs> and 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 I I honestly never did either. But I went <laughs> to school for ten years.
1: Well, once I got in there, once I went to the uh, through that uh, those uh, those classes again and that training stuff they do, uh, I didn't either. I thought, boy, this is you know this is really pathetic. Uh, it, it was it was so boring and and the people were so they they just uh, they they weren't well they they weren't the best you know they they weren't very bright.
0: Well, well, the real shame and a current a, a recurrent theme that I've tried to write into my Saxon Messenger editorials is the rewriting of history by the Jews in order to promote the other races amongst us and if history was taught correctly and and, you know when discussions come up uh, about slavery the discussions usually start somewhere in the 1800s right And, and that's really pretty sad. If history was taught correctly Rebecca's school teacher may have learned in her school that for many centuries Arab and Jewish pirates, and the Barnes Review about 10 years ago did a good job on an article with this. Arab and Jewish pirates roamed the coasts of Europe in their ships, raiding farms and villages of the white nations in search of loot and slaves. And they brought hundreds of thousands of people at least back to Africa during those centuries, the medieval period or the Levant and enslaved them in, a, in Islamic lands. And, and, and that was long before there had ever been Negroes brought to America, that, that whites were slaves in Africa. And, and again, if history was taught correctly, Rebecca's school teacher may have learned that most of the slaves brought to America were actually sold. They were sold by their African tribal chieftains to Jewish and Arab merchants. And then they were trafficked to the Caribbean and the Americas on mostly Jewish ships from Britain and Holland. She may also have learned that in the American colonies, at at the first, all blacks brought here were indentured servants. They were released after seven years just like whites. They weren't permanent slaves and that many of them, upon being freed, became slave owners themselves. Many whites from Europe also came to the colonies as indentured servants. Other poor whites, less fortunate, lived out their lives as permanent slaves in the Caribbean. And and that's well known that the Irish, many of the Irish were, were taken as slaves to the Caribbean and they were kept as slaves. They weren't released after seven years. In 1654, the Virginia courts ruled that blacks were aliens and therefore they could be held as slaves permanently. That ruling was made in favor of a black slave owner named Anthony Johnson. That That's something, all of this history that the real history of slavery is never taught in schools or, or in universities that I've ever seen. It's never taught. It, it's there. It can't be denied but it's never taught. Rebecca's school teacher may have been able to realize that the circumstances of most Negroes under slavery in the South was no worse than it has been for them, under, un, for, for most of them under capitalism in the modern world. I mean, the proof of that, look at Detroit and, and the plight of Negroes in Detroit and, and the slums in Brooklyn and Queens and, and just about anywhere else in the country, Philadelphia. If history was taught correctly, Rebecca's school teacher would have had the opportunity to realize that whites bear no special guilt for slavery, and that Negroes alone are responsible for the plight of Negroes. They sold themselves, their own chieftains sold them into slavery, and, and just as many whites initially were also sold into slavery and and that's and, and whites were taken slaves for hundreds of years by arabs and, and brought to it, it's yeah you know whites bear no special guilt at all for slavery. Rebecca will indeed have the opportunity to learn these things but there's a, probably millions of rebeccas that'll never learn these things and a lot of them are going to be gonna come, become school teachers, right? History in the modern world, mm-hmm. in the modern world it, it's obvious to me that history is being used to falsely promote the victimhood of non-whites, and, and that's a weapon of war against the white race. It's a war of attrition against the white race. And it's all very successful through the perversion of history. It's incredible. And, and that's a problem I can't imagine how that could be fixed.
1: Well, I think the problem, the main problem in the schools is the segregated schools. I mean, wait, that, because you've got classrooms, you're trying to teach uh, people who are, have very different uh, learning capacities and cultures and ways of looking at uh, the kind of things they want to learn, and they don't even have the same history. So like you were talking about history, uh, history is being changed because uh, it, if, you, if, uh, if you teach white history, then the blacks and the mestizos and all the uh, Asians and on—they're not too interested, and so uh, we—they have to uh, change that. And now whites are not getting their own their own history. So uh, that's just one little part of it. The other part is the way they mature diff- at different ages. And I guess we'll get into that. So, um, but uh, school—you can't teach disparate groups of people in the same classroom and with the same program. It becomes so screwy uh, trying to uh, c- cater to different levels and different groups of people in, in a single ca- classroom that teachers cannot do it, uh, and uh, so they just give up. You know, they do whatever whatever they can do to get along, and uh, and the schooling is, is on is on a very low level.
0: Well, well, right. It, it's when when we went to school. American schools were still at, at the um. Well, well, especially in the 40s and 50s, they were still amongst the best schools in the world, and, and in general, and and they've become very quickly. They become amongst the worst schools in the world, and it's because of the dumbing down of schools in order to um, placate and, and cater to the the, the lowest. The 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 other races which just aren't as bright as white children are. It, it can't be. They can't be taught in the same classrooms. It doesn't work. No. It doesn't work either to have separate schools in the same society because then the black children are being taught one thing, the white children are being taught another, and they're being taught two totally different things. Well that's still
1: life. better though. This, that's still better.
0: Well well and, better and
1: that I think the black, black child
0: back, right. Yeah. That doesn't um, white children back. White children are being held back now. They're not being challenged. They're not being educated because the schools are only going through the motions for for non whites.
1: They have uh, they have advanced classes, you know, college preparatory and so on. So the smartest white kids are can find themselves in some pretty good classes. I'm talking about high school, in in uh, in areas they can find themselves in some. Some pretty nice classes where they are mostly, you know, others like themselves are there. Uh, but then they're associating in the whole school with with all the others. But the the kids, the white kids that aren't so smart and aren't taking these college preparatory classes, they're stuck in classrooms with lots of browns and blacks in there who are really disrupting things. They are so disruptive um, that you just can't you just can't believe it, and they get away with it because. If they if they enforce the rules on all these kids, they'd have to kick all these kids out of school because they refuse to obey, you know to behave properly. Well. So it's just a constant uh, problem, you know. And the vice president, vice principals, supposed to be doing this, uh, you know. They're the ones who who uh, take care of the uh, uh, discipline problems, but they don't do much. And and if you if you call on them, or if you have too many discipline problems as a teacher. You're in trouble. So you know you're supposed to do the impossible, and so that's why the classrooms deteriorate and and the dumbing down takes place because there's nothing else teachers can do.
0: Well, well, man has to. um, (coughs) Egalitarian states, the way I see it, are contrary to nature. And every time man wants to defy nature, he has to build a, a large construction at great expense, and, and it never works, and it always falls apart, because you just basically cannot permanently defy nature. You, you can't do it, it It's and, and, and mm-hmm. we keep trying to do it, and, and it's, well, we never learned that it. it doesn't work. E- well, it's
1: not that we don't learn. It's that the political forces that are in control uh, are totally devo- are t- totally in, in intent, on having this uh, egalitarian system, they don't care whether it works or not, or who it doesn't work for. They're going to enforce it, and and we're under that. So it's a political thing. It's not. I think it's not because they don't know any better, or they're they're just really fools. It's a political. It's a political uh, uh, process that's going on, and it's for globalism, and it's not going to change. So well, uh,
0: that's right. But most people, most of our people, still don't realize that still don't have that realization. Well, they
1: don't. And you know, an odd thing that happens is that uh, most everybody will say, well, the school, our education system is in in bad shape. It's not good. It's not educating the kids the way it should. They'll they'll condemn it all. But when it comes to their school, they found that uh, the vast majority of people think that their school and the teachers that are teaching their children or the school their children are going to, is somehow an exception. They think that's functioning quite well, and their children are getting a good education.
0: Well, well, you know, people think the same way when they go to vote for a congressman and a senator. Yes. People will whine that's about right. Congress, they'll whine about the Senate, and then they go re-elect their own congressman and senator all the time. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. It is. And then they'll keep yes. whining about the, the, the whole Senate and, and Congress overall, but... They'll keep re-electing their own incumbent too. It's crazy. Well, well, considering in, in, in the um, you, you know, related to the, the fact that, that history is just um, it, it's real history is just ignored in schools and 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 because real history is ignored, and and not taught. The, the history that 's taught is is just taught to fulfill an agenda and and that agenda it is the production it is the installation among whites of, of a false sense of guilt and, and and that leads to the idea that whites must mix themselves with the negroes and the non white races and we see this all the time that people express this idea that if whites are forced to mix themselves with the ne- negroes and the non-white races, that in that manner there will be equality because everybody will be mixed and there will be no such thing as race. And, and that's really their, their goal and what they want to do. And, and, of course, this is in direct contradiction to the laws of God and nature. And what you're gonna, going to do is you're going to end up with an equality that's on a par with modern Egypt or the Sudan, and, and that's no civilization at all, right? I mean, that's absolutely horrible. Mm-hmm. The... um. The the idea that that's the way the way it should be, and and all of these liberals embrace Darwinism. That they all get you know they 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 express these beliefs in Darwinism, and they express these beliefs in evolution. But the idea is that whites must mix themselves so that there will be equality is in direct contradiction to Darwinism, mm-hmm. and, and and therefore liberals are are all hypocrites. I, I don't know how we could ever convince them of that. But they, they all embraced Darwinism on the left arm and 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 defy it on on the in their other hand it's crazy I, I mean I can't well
1: it's it's, it's like uh, Holocausters believers it's the same thing you know they don't care whether what they're saying makes any sense or not because it's all a political agenda right. it's all it's all political and so you you're not going to convince them of anything because they don't care uh, to be you know what What's good or what's bad or what's true or what's false? They're just they're just out to to keep their political uh, power going. Well, when well,
0: so, well, people can be shown that all of this is hypocritical, the the only conclusion to me can possibly be that there must be an agenda behind it. That this hypocrisy is, is so evident and yet so invisible, and the agenda is that the planned or, or deliberate destruction of the white race.
1: Well, I think so too. And the only, the only, uh, the only thing we can do at this point is to uh, take our children out of these schools, and that is not easy. I mean, uh, if we can change the schools, that would be great. But if we can't, or if we can have our own schools, but it's very difficult for parents to know how to educate their children, right? Except in the public schools that are available to them. I mean, there's just uh, and and so we don't even we don't seem to be making any good progress. A lot of Christian families are the most likely to take their children out of school and homeschool their their children. I think.
0: Right. They're, There's a few people in in, in that that are here in this talk shoot in in this chat room tonight that homeschool and they mm-hmm. homeschool rather successfully. That's not easy to do in all states even i i I know
1: no and if if a lot of uh, if a lot of people started doing it, then they start passing laws against it
0: right but they
1: already have some, but since it's such a minor you know number of people doing it, they're kind of uh, just harassing them a little bit but if it, more people started that's the problem i mean i hate to be uh, always bring up problems, but if we would ever uh, really get going, then they would really come down hard you know on against us. so um, like with uh the Golden Dawn party in greece i'll just i don 't want to get into this but but you know since they got this um, twenty one uh seven percent of the vote got twenty one people in the parliament uh that 's got everybody riled up now they're just coming down hard on on this on this party uh wanting to ban it and you know making it criminal and everything and saying oh this is, vote's terrible for what's happening so if you have any success. If we have any success, um, they just ramp up uh, against us. So we have to be aware of that.
0: Well, well in my paper, I set out to prove that, that the liberal ideas and the ideas that we must all mix and, and the ideas of an integrated society are, are in direct um Contradiction to the ideas of Darwin, and also, yeah, you know, these people they they like to say that we we all came from Egypt, we all came from the same place. If we want to believe that we all came from Africa, we we should perhaps listen to the Egyptians, and and that's why I made this example. I quoted from an ancient Egyptian hymn because it's it's um evidently clear to me. That, that whether you're a Christian, and, and I, I gave a Bible quote, out of Egypt I have called my son. If you're a Christian or if you're an evolutionist, you would believe that we all came through Egypt into Europe. And, and that's um, that, that's, that, that's something that I don't think too many people think about, but it, it can be argued. It, it's evident that even in the earliest times in Egypt, intelligent people distinguished between the races, and we should do that. Today, if we want to harken back to some African origin for our people, if we don't look at the way the ancient Egyptians thought about race, then again we're being hypocritical. And that's the way I see it, and it's just another way to illustrate liberal hypocrisy. The, the Hebrews, the Egyptians, the Greeks, the Romans all recognized racial differences and had laws and customs, safeguarding the integrity of their own race. That this is historical, and, and this has always been. And if the ancient Egyptians had it, that, then how could these people that claim we all came from Africa, how could they disparage us for that today? Again, the way I see it, they're being hypocritical. Uh, I have this hymn from him to Amon-Re, and I only use it as an example. I don't necessarily believe this is true, but this is the example from 18th dynasty Egypt, and, and this hymn dated to, to the 18th dynasty or earlier. Atum who made the people, distinguished their nature and made them life and separated colors one from another. It, it's that simple. In ancient Egypt, they actually had um, boundary stones to protect the white people of of Egypt. They had boundary stones which separated the blacks to the south, where the blacks were forbidden to cross those stones. And that's also found in Egyptian inscriptions. The the, the distinction of race was seen as a necessary one all throughout our history. And and these people, these liberals that um, hearken back to the, the ancient world and, and use Egypt as, as an example, or, or that this out of Africa theory as an example. They're, they're just ignorant of ancient history as well as they are of modern history. And, and I just wanted to make that illustration. I, I don't know if you have anything to say to that, but I, I thought in my paper it was an important one to make. Uh,
1: well, I did. It just I was there in my mind and just slipped my mind now. But um, but I think. Uh, what uh let's see what could I say about this that um that uh w- um we have to uh well we have we just have to distinguish between the races because and and it's interesting that white that's always been the white people who have been seen as most desirable, so they must have been more intelligent it must have been always that the whites were more intelligent, so they were seen as more desirable, and the darker ones wanted to be among the whites or you know, we're excluded from the whites and so on. But uh but if we don't if we don't make these racial if we if we don't become racist, if we don't accept being racialist, if we think that uh, that race is oh, I think I, what I was gonna say was that um it, it it's communist, isn't it? I mean it this came along with communism. Whenever whatever the roots of communism is, which I guess is uh in the French Revolution, sort of, but this is this is what's behind all this uh, um, criminalizing racialism and thinking in terms of race. This is where it comes from, uh, and and uh, and we we need to overcome that. See, this shows how the the communist way of thinking uh, has just taken over uh, in the Western world as the as the normal. Kind of moral standard that we should that we all are used to.
0: Well, well, it's absolutely true, and liberalism is only a euphemism for Marxism. That's all it is. Liberalism is a euphemism for Jewish Marxist communism. That's all it is.
1: Yeah, Um, and and you know, people from Europe say, "Well, uh, you confuse me with your American uh, use of the word liberal because we have a different kind," but it's not that different. Because uh, liberalism in Europe is a market, you know, market-based uh, thinking, um, mercantilism, and so on, kind of rules. Uh, well,
0: I haven't read all of Thomas Jefferson, but I've read enough of him that that I came to the understanding that to him, liberalism was only the idea that a moral society could govern itself. It didn't need a noble class ruling over it. It didn't need a, um, a a monarchy ruling over it, that all men were created equal in the eyes of the law and a moral society and moral people had the right to self government. That's Jeffersonian liberalism.
1: Mm. -hmm. Well, yeah. And, 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 uh, we could do it. I mean, uh, mixing mixing uh, dark races into the white into our white societies is what has is what has brought them down and into the terrible uh, state that they're in today. And that's exactly what it is. I and mean, we just have to more. We just have to try. To, I just think we have to try to get more people to accept the idea of race and that it's not wrong. It's not bad. It's not hateful. It's not you know, it's based on, on natural laws, which cannot be uh, broken, as you've said. I mean, you just can't, you can't go against this.
0: Well, well, if people naturally saw value in races other than their own, integration would not have to be enforced. It would happen naturally. Mm-hmm. And therefore, enforced integration is contrary not only to biblical doctrines, and it is, but it's also contrary to Darwin's natural selection theory. And it again exposes liberal hypocrisy. It's also contrary to natural human behavior. In reality, it is only natural for groups which perceive themselves as having inherently less value. And this goes with what you say about white people being perceived as more intelligent, and, and Negroes chasing white people for that reason, or the other races, the Orientals want to mate with whites. Everybody really wants white women because they're more in, that they're. That they, they're they're um, bound to bring more intelligent offspring, and they're much more beautiful and, and pleasurable, I think, to, to um, cohabit with, right? And the Negroes know that; that they surely know that. That's why they're always trying to get white women into bed. That's why you don't see any—you um, don't see a whole lot of Negroes in the pornography industry, females, for that reason. They're all white women. And that's that makes, mm-hmm. you know the pornography industry is probably the most detrimental to this nation, and the Jew knows it and promotes it everywhere. But they're they're always white women. I, I mean, it's evident. You don't even have to
1: another place you see white women uh, are on these news programs. You know these news anchors. Right. Uh, there's a blonde white woman. Now it's not always blonde, but ideally they like to have the blonde, and then they'll have a black man with her. Uh, as their news anchor couple now. Um, And uh, so there's some kind of great appeal of white women, there's no doubt about it.
0: Well, if people naturally saw value in races other than their own, integration would not have to be enforced. Therefore, it's contrary, and and it is contrary to Darwin's natural selection, and, and it's contrary to human behavior. Again, they promote evolution, but they really deny Darwin because liberals have no idea... What Darwin was saying, Darwin was saying, even if they went to the university, right that the um, it 's only natural for groups which perceive themselves as having inherently less value and and Negroes in America are a perfect example of that to covet bre- breeding with groups of inherently greater value, and that 's usually whites in america and and therefore groups with greater value naturally defend themselves unless they are prevented to by the threat of force. And, and that's the situation we exist in today. Mm-hmm. When Egypt, Greece, and Rome all became empires, and, and I can trace this in Egyptian inscriptions, and I plan to do it one day on a program. It can be traced and dated in Egyptian inscriptions that when Egypt became an empire in the, in, in the um. The, the when the upper and lower kingdoms were were united and Egypt began to branch out and exert hegemony over the surrounding nations egypt Egyptian religion and inscriptions actually the attitudes toward race softened and that is fully evident in those inscriptions that they all became empires with a greater interest in commerce than in their own people. And they also began to enforce a false equality of the races. And they all slid into that same eternal decay, which is now threatening us, which is now threatening Western civilization. And it's very clear. Anybody that studies real history can easily see this, except that it's evil and they would deny it, right?
1: Well, yeah, that's it. I mean, the whole thing is in deciding uh, what is good and what is bad, and that they have been in total control uh, for, but especially since 1945. That's that pivotal time with that with the 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 uh, victory in World War II, where they were able to put in all all nations the 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 uh, schooling and the kind of teachings and where the left took over everything and kicked the right out and and made the right almost uh, criminal. Actually, the right was not actually criminalized uh of course national socialism was but uh it wasn't they the right parties were allowed to exist and now it has gotten where they they don't want them to exist anymore now they're starting to try to criminalize any right uh what they call far right parties but when it's the far left it's not called the far left it's just called left
0: right that You never see left wing extremists in in the in the, the U S.
1: newsrooms. Yeah. and and so the whole the whole orientation of the Western world uh, is uh, totally far left. Really, really, it's like the uh, communism one, although it's not called communism.
0: Well, well, today's conservatives. I, I mean, I saw. I I I know that. Um, I can't even think of his name right now. He's one of your former VOR host, um, Jamie, Jamie Kelso. I, I okay. saw him, and, and Jamie Kelso is, I see him as a stepping stone, in a halfway house. He's not quite there, I, I don't think. But, well, anyway, he, he was at CPAC talking to conservatives, and, and he was uttering things that 20, 30 years ago would have been normal for conservatives to utter, and they ran him out of there. Oh, yeah,
1: that was quite a while ago, right, when yeah. they had that right. on film? Yes. They, uh, he was talking to talking people
0: about, about race at CPAC, and yes. yeah. they had left-wing liberal attitudes towards race. And I'm like, yes. wow.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, it's really stacked against us. And so this, is a, this just has to be kind of uh, chopped into, hammer and chisel or something. We just have to keep uh, knocking away at this, uh, trying to find the weak places. Well, and, right. uh, is
0: America is a joke. It's only economic, and it's basically a joke. They have no idea what they're conserving. They have no idea what, what, what they should be conserving.
1: Oh, no. no. Conservatism, that's not the right word to use.
0: No, it's a terrible word. Uh, well, well, yes. they made it a terrible word, but yes. it is a, it's is—it's terrible. Well, well um, yeah, you know, Rebecca announced to me during dinner that she had a boyfriend. And I couldn't, you know, ten years old. I I thought back to 1970 when I was ten years old, and and you know we had our chil- children's songs about people kissing, you know, boys and girls kissing, and and we had our playful ditties, but we didn't really think seriously at all about having girlfriends. Uh, I couldn't say I had a girlfriend until I was maybe fourteen or fifteen. That the um. But my own daughter, and 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 she turned um, seventeen in two thousand, and that was when she was permitted to have a boyfriend. When she turned seventeen, uh, I couldn't imagine what the hell a ten-year-old is doing with a boyfriend. And, and um, well, well, basically, as Rebecca spoke, I realized that it was perhaps better that she did have a boyfriend, and, and not for any good reason, right? But but. Children don't learn, and, and I've learned this too, children don't learn by hearing what adults say. Children learn by doing and, and experience and, and what they see adults do, and, and, and that's how they learn. I mean, you could tell your chi- child not to smoke all your life, and if you smoke, chances are your child is going to smoke, and you're not going to be able to prevent the child from smoking and, and especially if you smoke, right? I, I mean, it's not going to happen. Well, well um, children learn right. by experience rather than being told. And, and um, in the nineteen, and and I brought this up that the the innocence of America is gone, and it's the media that did it. And and the example I used was Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky in the blue dress. And and after that incident, every little girl in America knew what. Um, certain sexual acts were all about because they all were inquisitive and they inquired and they found out and they, and they started doing them. Right? It, it's it's nuts, but that that's
1: yeah. But you know, Bill, kids always want to know about sex, um, and and one way or another, they learn things. And I don't think there's anything wrong with learning about sex the way we used to learn about sex uh, from hearing stories and wondering about. <laughs> not believing the at first, and so on, and older cousins or this and that, you know, telling things, And uh, but uh, now they say, oh, this is so horrible to have kids learn about sex this way, so we have to uh, teach it in school, and I think teaching sex in school has become, a, it has become a big problem, and you go into that in this paper, and there's a lot that, that we could say about that. What well,
0: when um, I was a kid, we learned about sex from kids a little older than us, or or kids yeah. had older brothers and sisters, and and right, and that probably wasn't the most ideal way to learn. The, the most ideal way to learn is um to, to to begin to mature into puberty first and learn from your parents. What would probably be a much better way to learn? And well,
1: here's a funny story. Uh, when I was, uh, I had a sister. Uh, Two, two years older than me, little little more than that, but not much. And uh, at some point, I recall this so well, my mother got a book from her cousin. And it was, she was going to read us this book and about some real important things. And I was so excited about it because any time, you know, my parents would read to us whatever I liked. And I guess it was the right age for my sister, but it wasn't the right age for me. And the only thing I remembered about this sex book was about talking about the dogs you know how the dogs did it, and I had seen dogs doing that, and I was like, "Oh yes, you know, and uh, so I that made the big impression on me. The rest of it went all over my head. So you know, it's like when you're when when it's time for you to learn something, you learn it, and not all kids will learn about sex at the same at the same time or the same age. but if if, if you're not interested, you're not going to really uh take it in and i I don't think that it was so bad the way things were where your parents didn't really, some parents did, some parents didn't work. I don't think it has to be all clinical, like they do it in school now. Well, well, now okay. There's this thing I've got, let me just add this and I'll be done, because uh, it just came into my mind that now by this new, these new plans they have, well, these are from years ago already. Uh, by second grade, by the end of second grade, all students were should be able to name all the parts of the body with the, with the proper Word, you know, the proper term. Well, I think that's kind of sick. What's wrong with having little funny names for things like we used to do? You know, all families have their own little names uh, for different things that go on that have to do with sex and different parts of the body, and uh, they don't use they don't use those uh, uh, correct terms or words or clinical terms and so on. And 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 I didn't see anything wrong with that.
0: Well, well, there was nothing wrong with it. No. It, it's part of childhood. And, and it's part of childhood for every family to have or, or every clan to be clannish and, and to have its own um, language to describe certain things. And, and that right. gives a child
1: it, it was quite interesting. When I got a little older and I found out that not everybody used those same words that we used in my family. Well,
0: <laughs> right. And that's part of what gives a, a child its familial identity, Right yeah I mean exactly
1: that it, it, it clan
0: identity it, it's it, it's part of our culture if we want to have a culture that the um yeah you know when I was a child and learned about sex i, I was probably seven years old or eight years old but but it was in hushed tones right and mm-hmm. and because we learned about sex in hushed tones, we understood that these things were, were the um that they were the territory of adults. And we really didn't want the adults knowing that we knew all these things, but these things were the territory of adults, and therefore we knew that we shouldn't be doing them because we learned about them in hushed tones, because we understood that there were taboos involved. So we didn't do those things.
1: I agree with you on that. I agree with you on that. And now the way they do it, uh, in order to somehow protect these kids, uh, these kids are now doing this stuff, Long before we ever did, and right. you know that's I, why
0: because yeah. now they're learning about it out in the open. It's there are no longer any taboos associated with it. Mm-hmm. Th- that they're being taught it clinically, and what are they going to do? They're going to run off and do it. And right. They're going to want to. They've been taught about it. Now they want to know what it's like.
1: Well, they're almost encouraged to because if they teach you about it in school, and they don't teach you very much about morals. They only teach you about the dangers, you know, you might get a disease or, and kids don't worry about things like that. I never worried about diseases when I was young. If they told me you might get a disease from this, uh, I I wouldn't have taken it. That just wouldn't have made much of an impression on me. What made an impression was my mother uh, saying, you better watch out for your reputation. (laughs) My mother was always talking about reputation. Uh, You don't want to ruin your reputation. So be careful. Be careful. And uh, I knew what she meant, and, uh, and I didn't want to ruin my reputation. So, uh, you know, I just, I just think that old stuff works uh, because you had a real family, and my mother was at home. And uh, I don't know. I just, of course, that's what I experienced. So I'm maybe speaking from my own experience and thinking that's what everybody should, you know, that's what's best. But um, I, I don't, I, I wouldn't have, I remember we had some kind of sex education in school. We all would watch some some film, you know. Once in a while, you got to watch a film back when I was in school, and we watched some film, um, and we were all geared up for it because we knew it was about sex, and they told us it was going to be about reproduction or something. But uh, it didn't teach me anything. I, I, that stuff never never made a very big impression on me. It was so, like I said, it was so clinical or so professional or whatever. Uh, it wasn't like uh, uh, the old uh, hush hush <laughs> stories being told, which were more interesting.
0: Well, well, right. But when sex was in <laughs> hushed tones, when children learned about it through rumors and innuendos, yes, we learned about it, but we didn't, um, you know, have that. What we didn't have that attitude that now it's out in the open and 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 we could just go try it because everybody knows about it, so so it can't be as taboo as as we thought about it, right? As we thought about it when we were children, it, it was always something that was the territory of adults. And, and we didn't even want our parents... Knowing that we knew about it and we used to snicker right kids would snicker back and forth with each other because we really knew what mom and dad were talking about but they weren't telling us what they were talking about because they thought they were using a coded language but we knew what it referred to right and and it was part of the fun of childhood and and the coming of age but um it's it's um it's all gone now it's the end of innocence It is sexual education in the schools. And it's a horrible thing. I don't want anybody teaching my children about sex. I'll teach my children about sex when I feel that they're ready. It's The schools weren't built for that. And and that's part of the Marxist agenda. Rebecca described to me how she had no ability to choose whom she wanted to or whom she did not want to associate with at school. The end, It's, it's there's no... Freedom of association anymore in the schools. And we always had that when I was a child at school. Her teachers forced her to study and play with children that she did not want to study and play with under the threat of punishment. And this, of course, does much violence to that ancient right of freedom of association, which has always been recognized and it's even recognized still by modern court systems whenever it's a, a good case is made for it, and, and there are recent court decisions upholding that. that the, um, the girl is also wooed by young Negroes and Mestizos and has even undergone peer pressure to have a certain Negro, a certain Negro classmate as a boyfriend, and, and that's her friends, and, and this Negro hangs out with a certain friend of Rebecca's and... and um, Because Rebecca's friend has that boy as a boyfriend, and 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 that boy has has the Negro friend, and she has Rebecca for a friend. That friend thinks that Rebecca should be a boyfriend, a girlfriend of the Negro. It's just crazy, but that's how children act, right? And and, um, for for that reason, Rebecca and, and she knows that she should only have white boyfriends, and for that reason. I realized her having a white boyfriend of her own choosing, what was kind of a way for the girl to defend herself from, from the onslaught of race mixing, which her own teachers and, and her classmates even encourage. It, it's crazy. And they think that this is normal. They're not even being taught. Children are never, not even any longer being taught about race. And, and when I was a child, we had clear um, Clear definitions of who we were and, and a clear understanding of who we were, and that the other races were different, and, and we didn't think about mixing with them. And it would have never been accepted in my home.
1: Well, I never, I never went to school with. Oh, uh, well, I went to school only with white kids until I was in high school, and then the uh, you, you didn't. There were. A, 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 there was a certain number of blacks in the high school because you know that was the only school for the whole town, um, high school except yeah a Catholic one, and um, but they they were at that time they kept very much to themselves socially and I don't even recall blacks on the sports teams back then and and uh, I had one class a typing class where I had a a black girl. She was a nice black girl, too, and uh, came from a nice family. Uh, she, she was in my typing class, but I don't recall any blacks in any much classes that I was in because they took different kind of classes. So you didn't see that much of them. So it was really, a, uh, even though they were in the school, it was really still a segregated kind of system. And, um, well, I just can't quite uh, imagine. You Did you go with blacks? A kid in well, well I school? went to
0: Catholic school, right? And, and in the yeah. Northeast in the 60s and 70s, mm-hmm. most of the blacks, most of the Negroes had recently moved up from the South, and they were all Protestant, and they all went to public schools. And I went to a Catholic school, and for that reason, the Catholic schools were all white.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's- they
0: were all white. Okay. And they weren't yet, in, in, even in Jersey City. The Hispanics, when I went to grade to grammar school, the Hispanics weren't a a um that they weren't spread through the city yet. So there were no Hispanics in or Latinos or mestizo or or, or whatever I should call them. That there were no mestizo Caribbean Indians in, in um in, in my in in my Catholic grade school or, or in my high school. That there weren't any. I, I think there was maybe one or two. Negroes in my high school. Oh. Uh, I, I don't know if they were in my grade or not, but they were in the school. But there were only a, one or two of them, and this is in 1975, 76. Yeah. I, I know it's a lot different now, but at that time, none of the Negroes were, were Catholic. Uh-huh. So, so they were all Protestant, so they all naturally went to public schools. And, and the public schools in Jersey City were... Um, most of the public schools in Jersey City were mostly or all black when I went to school. Wow. You did not want to go to a public school in Jersey City. White kids did not want to go to public school in Jersey City in the 1970s.
1: Yeah.
0: And they did everything they could to avoid it.
1: Well, I was going to say that even even among white students, you know, all white classes and so on, you had a lot of differences. And even among white kids, some, they mature at different, not that much different, but they, you know, some are more mature than others, and some, some girls become sexually mature uh, before others, and we're going to talk about that, I think, um, because when you get to the different races, then it becomes a, quite a, you know, several years difference in the way they mature sexually, and that is a big problem for, uh, for white girls. So that's another reason that I think is real important why white, ki- white kids should not have to go to school with, uh, black, black, especially blacks, but also even, um, mestizos.
0: Well, well, absolutely. You, you know, it's not only the, the, the sexual maturation. Uh, let me read this paragraph from my article okay. first, and, and then I'll comment on it. Although it may not always be readily manifest in the general public, and, and this is from my own life's experience, but I can also document it online, Negroes and mestizos are raised from birth with entirely different social and cultural values than most whites. They are sexed at a very early age. They are taught sex and sexuality. They are exposed to sexuality from their youngest years. And and that's a matter of black and Mestizo culture. And consequently, they are sexually active at a much younger age than white children. Since white girls usually mature more rapidly than white boys, this typically makes the white girls the targets of sexual advances from Negroes and mestizos several years before they would normally be subject to sexual advances from white boys. In, in other words, the, the the Negroes are in the game; they're chasing the white girls around, and the boys aren't white boys aren't in the game because they're still playing video games and 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 and, and GI Joes and with their bicycles, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Right, you're not ready for exactly that yet. You know, and in that way, you know, girls were kind of waiting for the boys to to uh, to wake up. But some some girls would look for older boys, older white boys, you know, in the grade the grade ahead, or even two grades, which well, was well, right. quite shocking if you're only in grade school. Right. But by the time you're in sixth grade, some of this stuff starts coming out. But uh, but you know, then I, I remember that some girls were uh, had developed. Quite a bit, um, sexually, <laughs> at least in outwardly, and others not at all. And so, you know, there's there's all this difference going on. But uh, when you get with uh, with Negro girls, uh, they do they do actually develop uh, sexually a lot earlier, and they are very uh, aggressive sexually, and they 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 create, they become role models in a way for the white girls. Uh, who who uh, who uh, don't have that kind of no sh- no uh, uh, know, know um, how and all that stuff because kids at that age look up to those who seem to know something more and and seem to be more advanced than they are even though they shouldn't do it they do
0: well well right and and what I've seen I've seen this in real life as well as at, as in in the documentation that I have the the sexual pressures upon pre-teenage and teenage girls in the mixed-race environments usually comes first from Negro and Mestizo boys. Now, now, it is true, as you said, that Negro girls, they mature sexually long before white girls do. And they and I didn't get into it, or I didn't even really recognize it from my paper, but they can very well be role models for white girls who would who would be peer pressured into following along yes that is true
1: yeah they they kind of become leaders you instead of uh, the white you think that you know the whites taking charge and you know being the one to run everything not at all true in these in these certain age groups uh the negro and the CISO girls can really take charge and the white girls either just go, you know, and mind their own business and, you know, don't get involved, which would be the, the best deal. But if you're a white girl who wants to be somebody too, uh, I understand that they really can follow these these other girls um, quite a lot and, and do things and get carried away and, you know, I mean, get involved in things that they wouldn't normally do if they, these girls weren't around.
0: Well, well liberal academia is, is well aware of this, and I have citations to a couple of papers in my article that, that show that, the, the liberal academia is aware of the differences in the maturation rates in children and and, and the Judas goats, the teachers must also they have to be aware of this they have to see it every day and and nobody seems to ever even talk about these things it, it's You're right. a, a subject in society it's, it, it's, in, it's incredibly sad
1: yeah because it doesn't fit with their political agenda and it's all politics it's all political and these teachers they're not so. They're not aware of the political, but they just uh, know that they have to. They can't. They have to treat everybody supposedly equally, which means ends up meaning you treat the the Negroes and the and the uh, and, and to a less lesser degree the uh, the mestizos better than you treat the whites because they're the problem. And so you're constantly giving your attention to them uh, because they're always creating problems.
0: Well, well, for children like Rebecca. And and her chances of growing up to full and healthy Christian life, these things are only the beginning of sorrows. It gets a lot worse than this. There are far more sinister attacks on Christian values underway in our schools which have been out in plain sight for quite some time, yet there are few who care to undergo the sustained protest necessary to counter this sustained attack on Western culture and values. Whether any particular school teacher is perceived as a good person or not is absolutely immaterial. Teachers have as their profession and involvement in these things which are now and have been destroying western culture and values for quite some time and if they if any particular school teacher has not resisted these things they are indeed fulfilling this role of the Judas goat and they deserve the label i, I mean i'll never back down from this label these teachers have witnessed the uni, the, the 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 bolshevik and and it's destructive this bolshevik Agenda for fifty years now, and, and they haven't what school teacher stands against it none <laughs> not one I can't remember one no, no
1: no, and as I said to you at, at some point a few days ago, uh, my experience in the school as a, as a full time teacher is that you you better not you know you cannot, and uh, the principal is overseeing this kind of thing and uh, and if you, uh, if you do anything that shows uh, that you are not uh, treating these minorities uh, right and equally and you have any any slight amount of prejudice or any favoritism for your own or whatever, Um, or if you speak out about these, if you have any political ideas or if you have any disagreements, you're in trouble.
0: Well, You're in real trouble. then they're all Judas Goats, and, and they could wear the label. They deserve it. That's fine. They care for their jobs and their careers more than for, for the values of their culture, but they're Judas Goats. That's what they are. And, and as I, I want to quote I, I quoted from this medical doctor, and I quoted from this metal, medical doctor in order to show that the, the um, impact that role playing in education has is well known by mainstream academics. They cannot deny this, because it's all over their own literature. In his online article called Role Playing in Education, which was originally written in 1995, that's 20 years ago almost, medical doctor Adam Blattner, and yes, that sounds like a very Jewish name, he writes the following, and I quote, it's um, three short paragraphs, the great developmental psychologist jean piaget and i went and read some of jean piaget's writing also described two modes of learning assimilation and accommodation in assimilation this is the rote learning that we what we're used to in in our generation in school and in assimilation people figuratively fill in their mental map of the world while in accommodation they figuratively change that mental map. Expand it or alter it to fit their new perceptions. Both processes are complementary and concurrent, but different types of learning tend to emphasize one mode or the other. Role memorization tends to emphasize assimilation. I'm sorry, rote memorization tends to emphasize assimilation. That's the, the strict memorization process of learning. Right. In contrast, learning to climb a tree, swim, or ride a bicycle emphasizes accommodation. Accommodation involves a gaining of a knack and tends to be the kind of learning that is almost impossible to fully forget. That line there is very important. Assimilative learning, as we all know, is remarkably easy to forget. Some kinds of rote memorization becomes accommodative to the extent that the words or ideas are linked to rhythms, poetic cadences, and music. This is important, too. And this is why a certain small group of activities, a recited bit of Shakespeare or a narrative song, may stay with an individual far more readily than say the list of vocabulary words mastered for a foreign language test and then forgotten it has to do with the use the using of certain information and and i wrote as is evident from his article blattner did not discover the impact of role-playing in education. His article only puts role-playing into perspective and highlights some possibly positive uses of theatrical techniques, which he gets into, dramatic dramatic techniques, in education. What he is saying has been long known by educators and academics, and has been employed in schools for several decades. The songs that children are taught to sing, and, and think of like We Are the World, the, I'm, I mean, who, had, who didn't sing that in the 1980s and 90s in their school as young children? And the roles that they are given to play in schools teach them lessons and mold their impressionable young minds for decades to come and often even forever. If educators are able to engrave certain social concepts into the minds of young enough children, in only a decade or two, new norms emerge in the attitudes of society. We've seen this the last 50 years. It's absolutely clear. And um, all society can be radically transformed in a short period of time. And it absolutely has. And so many things that we considered repulsive when we were young are today considered absolutely normal by young people, and not even considered. I mean, they would look at the behavior and and and, and not even have a reaction. It, it's nuts. It, it really is. Since these methods have been employed in the West for several decades now, in both subtle and radical um, ma- manners, The norms of Christian society have already long been supplanted with those of a Jewish-inspired secular society. Piaget quantified the hows and whys of explaining why children learn better from acting things out, which is accommodation, rather than from rote memorization or assimilation. Yet Piaget's developments had been used in the exact opposite ways in which he would have hoped for. Because he also, and and he said in 1934, and he said that only education is capable of saving our societies from possible collapse, whether violent or gradual. And and in fact, they've used Piaget's methods to hasten that collapse. And and that's exactly what they've done and I'll quote another paragraph from Blattner. Blattner concludes in his article, role-playing is a methodology derived from sociodrama that may be used to help students understand the more subtle aspects of literature, social studies, and even some aspects of math, science or mathematics. Well, it's never role-playing is never used for those things. Further, it can help them become more interested and involved not only learning about the material, but learning also to integrate the knowledge in action by addressing problems, exploring alternatives, and seeking novel and creative solutions. Role-playing is the best way to develop the skills of initiative, communication, problem solving, self-awareness, and working cooperatively in teams. And these are above all, certainly above the learning of mere facts, many if not most of which will be obsolete or irrelevant in a few years, will help these young people be prepared for dealing with the challenges of the 21st century. While Blatter's article is seemingly innocuous, this can't be said for the application in our modern schools of the concepts that he presents. Role-playing in education has not been used so that children can learn science and mathematics. Rather, it has been used for social programming or the social reprogramming of children, to teach them values which are absolutely contrary to what they may learn in a Christian home. And and, and that's absolutely clear, and, and that's the use of role-playing in school the last, 50, the, the last 50 years. I cite an article a 1976 article from the Oregon Tri-City Herald, and a lot of these articles could have been cited, but this one, in 1976, I'm sorry, in 1976, homosexual role-playing angers school parents, young children, were being taken in Oregon and put into role-playing games, and, and, and they were playing the roles, of homosexuals, and basically they were learning to be homosexuals when they were playing that role. Blattner in his articles, Adam Blattner in his article had explained, and and I have it quoted here somewhere, I just don't remember which paragraph it's in. He explained that role-playing for children was basically like a a football drill or or like practicing, like a carpenter might practice or like somebody with a trade might practice that trade, that when children role play, they're actually practicing to fulfill that role at a later time. When you have young children role playing as homosexuals, they're practicing to be homosexuals.
1: Well, how young were these children? I, I can't imagine. This must have been in high school, right? Even then, it's not good. Well, but I mean, they wouldn't be—they couldn't fun. be doing this with y- little children.
0: Well, uh, I have a video, and and I have a couple of paragraphs about the Cambridge Friends School. Okay, the Cambridge mm. Friends School is a Quaker school in Massachusetts, and I have these videos of this Cambridge Friends School of their celebration of Gay Pride Day on the Saxon Messenger website. And they were having third graders in role-playing games or watching adults do role-playing little skits. Third graders.
1: Well, what were they doing in these skits? What could they... How, how were they, they, they pretending were to be...
0: It, it was examples in the skits and in the role-playing of how homosexuals should not be abused, how they should be treated like normal people, how homosexuality is good, and how okay. healthy. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, that's a, You know, they have tied this bullying, uh, uh, craze in uh, with uh, homosexuality. Uh, that that's that's how they're that's how they're bringing that in because they're saying that, that uh, gays, lesbians, uh, bisexuals, or if they're trans, whatever they are, uh, in school they are bullied and uh, and uh, what's the other word they use for it um, by these uh, by normal kids. And so this is so terrible, and so we can't have this bullying, so therefore we have to teach everybody that, uh, that homosexuality is just fine and normal and even, uh, even a, good, a good way to be. Um, th- this is how they do it, because they say, I mean, if, if you have two, two kids in your school who come from uh, homosexual, uh, who have two mommy families, they, that's what they call it, or maybe they would have a two daddy family. You know, and then uh, you you have to present that into all the children in school that this is perfectly normal and fine, and there's not no problem with it, so that these two students who who have, who are in these families won't get bullied or picked on. Well, well, in 19- and, and, and and yet it's normal that uh, that things that are outside of social uh, mores do get picked on and do get do get. Uh, uh, Single[d] out like that, and and you, if trying to prevent it is uh, creates more problems than, than than should be, because actually, you well, know, you have to evident. sacrifice these two people for, for A- the good of the whole. That's what it comes down to.
0: A- absolutely. That yeah. the um in, in, in Oregon in 1976, first this guide that they had come out with that the state school officials published this guide. Right, or allowed this guide to be published and and, and the guide was developed by by a, a health education specialist for the State Department of Education in Oregon in um, in, in, in league with forty six teachers forty six school teachers in Oregon together they they developed this guide on role on suggesting the guide suggests that pupils act out the roles of homosexuals in in order to um what well, well in 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 order to push their agenda basically and, and it's done under the guise of of a health class right of of yeah. those health science classes what well, well it suggests role play, the, the health guide suggests homosexual role playing in classroom education and before these parents the parents were up in arms about it in 1976 today most parents would probably shrug their shoulders and that's the way the media has to them, right? Well, well, before these parents found out about it, before it became common knowledge throughout the state, before it hit the media, it was ran, it was tested for an entire year in 32 Oregon school districts. And that's a considerable number of school districts, right? Now, now this... Um, that, that's
1: well, you know, Oregon is there. They're so, they're so uh, far left in Oregon. I'm not surprised that it started there.
0: Well, well, right. And, and that does seem to be the earliest um, role-playing example I, I came mm-hmm. up with. Now, now, this Cambridge Friends School, it's a Quaker school, in Mass- a Christian school, right? How sweet. In Massachusetts, they made a documentary film in 1996, which extols what amounts to the homosexual brainwashing of children. I couldn't believe this film when I saw it. And, and that... Through such things as role playing and other interactive methods. And, and this school, as, as it is evident in the documentary, happens, you know, homosexuals seemed to be proportionately overrepresented on the teaching staff, and, and perhaps why that, that's why this school did this, right? The film's entitled It's Elementary. It was made in 1996, and it was partially funded by the National Endowment for the Arts. And, um, Bill Clinton was president 19, in 1996, right? And, and it's been shown in classrooms around the country. It, it's been shown in New York City schools. It, it's been show, I, I found a whole list of schools that this film was shown in, in, in various places.
1: Well, you know, they have to have these health, these health education, uh, sex education classes. And so there's not that much. The teachers don't. Now, teachers, that's another thing about school. They, the teachers depend on videos more and more, and it's supposed to be somehow, some kind of better method of teaching. But there's probably only so many of these uh, films around, so this one that you're talking about was highly used everywhere.
0: Right, it, it's evident. And the film features such things as plans which the staff had made for the celebration of Gay and Lesbian Pride Day. And on that day, in, in that segment of the film, which is on a Saxon Messenger site, they had children boasting and bragging and, and glowing about their two mothers, that they actually had that, and explaining to their classmates, and they actually had the two mothers in the class, on Gay and Lesbian Pride Day. I believe it. I believe it. Which is incredible. And young students were witnessing and participating in role-playing, which promotes the idea of homosexuality as healthy and normal. And, and Adam Blatner, to get back to his paper on, on the impact of role-playing, Adam Blatner, he describes role-playing as a natural vehicle for learning. Role-playing is simply a less technologically elaborate form of simulations. He says that role-playing is nothing more than rehearsal. Role-playing is a technology for intensifying and accelerating learning. It is like electric power tools in relation to carpentry. So if you learn electric power tools, you learn to be a carpenter. If you role play homosexual activity in the third grade, you learn to be a sexual deviant. It's that clear. I I mean, that's their own literature that's admitting this. They know what this role playing is doing to our children. That is, that this has to be why we have an explosion of sexual deviancy all of a sudden. We have so many young children saying, oh, I'm a homosexual. It's absolutely incredible. This would have never happened when I was in school.
1: No, no, good heaven. Um,
0: We were subject to this role-playing in the third grade.
1: Yeah, well, it's amazing if you start with children, and that's why. Uh, they say start well well every every kind of every kind of agenda says you know they want to get hold of the children and if you start with children uh you're going to that's why they say they uh, they're down into preschool and they start in kindergarten and definitely as I said, by the end of uh, second grade they're supposed to know all the parts of the body and then by um let's see uh what's the other uh at some in in grade school. Well they're still in the in the primary grades or maybe third fourth or something they are supposed to um, be able to say uh, they're supposed to be familiar with all the different kind of family structures that that we have you know including the the two mommy and the two daddy and the whatever other kind of family done the single mom and all there are all, it's all it's, you know this is to make everything normal so that nobody gets picked on this is what they use bill they they're con it's always in in um, in conjunction with this no bullying thing. And when when I was uh, substituting in the uh, in the grade schools, you know, I started. I only wanted to be in high school, and then I got sick of the high schoolers, and uh, I started to try out some grade school stuff. But that has its own problems. But um, I don't like any schools. I don't like to be in any of these schools. I hated being in these schools, actually, uh, but uh, because the atmosphere is so. Now here's the thing that would happen. In the morning in the grade school, uh, the uh, the principal would get on the uh, intercom and he would give a little talk to the students. And often it was about bullying and about how bad it was to be a bully. And all this stuff was going on. These kids, you know, are young. They take this in very seriously. And as you said, um, it sticks with them for life, you know, that uh, the worst thing you can do is to is to bully somebody because of the way they look or the way they behave or who their parents are or whatever, and so everybody's afraid to stand up for anything that they might believe in
0: well well you know that they're blaming the bullying on on the suicides on teenage suicide, but it's evident and, and this is at the end of my article and i didn't write a whole bunch on on it because I have the um uh, I have some, some an article on it called Suicide in the Welsh Valleys, and I quote and, and cite the work of Brian Gerrish in Britain. And, and I know that Brian Gerrish, he's not one of us. He's not a white nationalist. He's not awake to the problem. and The real treachery behind all of this, he's not awake to the Jewish problem. He's simply the average conservative man in Britain, who sees a problem with suicides, and he has found that it's role playing of suicides, and and and, and not only role playing, but also something called um, neuro linguistic programming that's being employed in Britain. In order to change people's social attitudes and it's being employed not only at adult levels, but it's also being employed in the schools to change the social attitudes of children, the role playing of suicide, of suicides and the neuro-linguistic programming are, as he points out, the most likely suspect responsible for the rash of suicides. And they're doing... I haven't quantified at what age they role-play suicide here in in America in schools. I know they're doing it in high schools. I haven't been able to find whether they were doing it with children as young as the third grade, like they're doing it with with the sexual deviancy, But, but I know they're doing it in high schools here, and that may also be another good reason why these suicides are actually happening, because children are being taught to commit suicide by their schools. Because of these role-playing games that they're playing with the suicide, and, 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 and that's actually hmm. uh, um, enticing children and, and to commit suicide. It, it, well,
1: I think it's right. Like, I think it's true that the more you familiarize people with things, they think they're preventing, they think they're educating these kids about it so they won't do things. No, the more you familiarize them with something, the more likely they're going to uh, participate in it.
0: Well, well, right. And and bullying, you know, when I was a kid, there were a lot of times when I was a bully and there was a lot of times when I got bullied. That's just, it's the crowd you were with at a particular time. If you're the only Irish kid and there's 10 Italian kids, you're going to be bullied. If you're the only Italian kid and there's 10 Irish kids you're going to be picked on. If you're the only red-headed kid and everybody else has brown hair, you're going to be picked on. It's a natural part of childhood. It's a natural part of that tempering experience that we all need in order to become normal, responsible adults. I agree. we, We need to be bullied and we need to be bullies in order to learn what what, what the consequences are and what it's like when we grow up. And none of us ever killed ourselves for it.
1: That's right. That's right. And we get over And, you know, uh, bullying, I don't even, I don't like that word, but, you know, picking, deciding to pick on some kid uh, ha- has been going on from the beginning of time, I'm sure. And uh, if when you're in that age group, you know, when there's something – and. Well, when you're different, but sometimes there is something kind of wrong with some kids, and the other kids sense it. And just like with uh, <laughs> but with animals, you know, they don't want some some uh, another uh, member of their group in their group if there's something wrong with them. You know, they kind of shun them and stick throw kick them out and so on and treat them badly. And we think that's so terrible, it, it is terrible, but this has been going on, it always goes on, it will go on. Uh, and, uh, and we all survive, and you have to think of what's best for the group, which I've come to understand now, not one individual. I used to be, uh, why, I, why I was tended to be always liberal because I, I fell for this idea that one person's suffering was just terrible and you had, you couldn't allow that to happen. I didn't understand how to look at the health of the whole group because that, that had never been in my lifetime really emphasized. Uh, but, until I started to look into it well, myself,
0: you simply overcome that natural female empathy I was talking about. But but very Yeah, for uh, sure.
1: I, I don't
0: have to <laughs> sure overcome it, and, and very few women do overcome it. And, and the women that overcome it always understand it once they overcome it. You know, conservative. I, I hate to use the word, right? But but the more normal, uh, um, traditional woman does recognize that, and, and does recognize that it can lead to. A, a um a, a caving into the liberalism and and i've seen that in women but but in very few of them
1: well i i've just come to be so much against um, considering the uh, the few examples that are inferior among you to to uh, uh, rather than all of the other you know normal examples among you and then those who are superior and who can be leaders and who can help the whole group this this attention to the to the ones who are tend to be picked on, um, while you should protect them, but that's that's a phenomenon that's not that's just normal and natural, particularly among kids. And as you said, now there's more suicides and there's more uh, mental illness and so on uh, among among our young people because they're going through these programs.
0: Right. Absolutely. Yeah, You know, I, I would say if there, if there were 100 kids in my in my 8th grade graduation class, and, and they all got bullied at one time or another, and they were all bullies at one time or another, and, and they all grew up to be pretty much normal and got over it, right? And, and right. that's the way it was. And, and we had a couple of boys that were a little effeminate, and, and the rest of us stayed away from them. And they usually hung out with the girls we, we didn't pick on them just because they were effeminate. We may have picked on them once in a while because they were idiots or, or because they stepped over the line and and got involved in something that we didn't think they should be involved in but but that they they were pushed aside and they hung out with the girls and, and that's probably where they belong
1: well, and now they say like there's this uh, uh there's this uh n p r discussion that i came upon today from 2006, uh, you know, National Public Radio. And so so they had a discussion about uh, sexual orientation teaching in the schools, which really was about uh, teaching uh, about homosexuality in the schools. And there was some controversy. And they had three uh, four uh, guest people on. And uh, three of the four were for it. Uh, totally, you know, liberal and for all this. And one of them, they, one of them was, he, he agreed that there should be sex education in schools, though. But he thought it should be, uh, not so bad. No, that's right. He, he's among those three. There's only one that said he didn't think they should be, that should be in the school. But here's this woman, she's, um, uh, she's still there. State Representative Alice Wolf, and I found out she's Jewish. She said, said uh, she's a Democrat from Massachusetts, uh, she, and uh, she uh, was born in uh, Vienna, and her family fled the Nazis, you know, to the United States when she was five, and now she's very active. Uh, she's a of Venice now. And, and here is her, her priorities include education, health care, equal rights for gays and lesbians, affordable housing, immigrants' rights, and uh, serving her constituents. So, so you know, this is just, um, she, she's very, and so she, she's the one who has sponsored this bill in the state legislature to raise the prominence of the health curriculum, which includes sex ed classes, and, and she was talking, but her point, the point that she's trying to make to seem like she's just, you know, not anybody out, you know, weird, that uh, she says it's important that all other kids get a balanced view, that they get the facts, because ultimately they're going to be all together in their classrooms and on the school grounds, and they're going to be working together. So it's so it's this thing that, well, we're all forced to be together, so uh, we have to all get the same kind of uh, education and treatment and learn the same thing so that we'll all... Get along, I'll be the same. It's just all. It's again the sameness.
0: Well, well that cultural Marxism. Every bit of yeah,
1: and that's what it is.
0: Cultural Marx. It's Frankfurt School cultural Marxism. That that leads me your, your discussion of tolerance leads me to the next part of my article okay. and three short paragraphs quoted from the website from a website from an article called the real. Homosexual Agenda and it's from the the website truenews.org and I liked the article and I had some um, additions to make to it. I'm going to quote from the article first. Tolerance is the buzzword and central theme for the homosexual movement. However, few people understand what they really mean by tolerance and how they have twisted its meaning to support their agenda. As a result, most do not recognize the threat it poses to us, our children, and our freedoms. Tolerance means simply to recognize and respect other people's beliefs and practices without necessarily agreeing or sympathizing with them. And this nation was that—that's you know the U.S. Constitution was actually created as a doctrine of tolerance because of all the different Christian sects which dominated each state, right? That the, um, however, when many homosexuals use tolerance, they mean going far beyond respecting their rights. They also demand approval praise and endorsement of their beliefs, values, and lifestyle. What other group in this country could demand that? Their attitude and demands are neither fair, right, nor constitutional. Our children are being bombarded in school with the homosexual version of tolerance. In other words, all beliefs are equal, all values are equal, all lifestyles are equal, and all truth is equal, and and all of that's actually contrary to all natural law, right? This is the basis upon which our children are being indoctrinated by the propaganda that their beliefs and values, which they have learned in their homes, are no different from those of a homosexual or a pornographer or someone involved in adultery or fornication, etc. Children are being taught that all truth is relative to the individual. This is... Frankfurt School Jewish relativism, right? Knowing right from wrong doesn't matter. To say something is right or wrong is not being tolerant. This is today's tolerance pushed by homosexual activists, and that's true. And I would add to it that tolerance was only the beginning, because after the idea of tolerance is forced upon people, all of those who were in opposition to children participating in such things as role-playing as sexual deviance are automatically labeled as intolerant. And once you're labeled as intolerant, you are perceived as being the enemy of all things tolerant. And one becomes an outcast in the very society whose values you are seeking to uphold. And, and that's what they've done to people. That's what they've done to this. Yeah,
1: and, the, and then they talk about bullying. They're bullying.
0: Yeah, they are bullying. Schools are, are turned into little more than factories. According to Adam Blattner, right, the Jewish doctor, right, he's admitted it. He's admitted that role-playing is, is an elaborate form of simulation, and, and it's nothing more than rehearsal. That's the, that's the words of this Jewish doctor, and he's a liberal. And he's admitting that the homosexual agenda is basically, in our schools, it's basically a way to turn our schools into little more than factories, which turn out race-mixing mix, race sexual deviance. And and I have a pretty nasty comment here that they our children today seek nothing but to experience a little more than tasting the rainbow, and I won't explain what that means. Um, and, and that's what it's become. Our, our children are sexually Craved. It, it, it's, it's, it's uh, I don't have enough adjectives to say what I'd like to say <laughs> it, yeah
1: well clearly it's it's you know it's, it's it's horrifying to you and and it should be i mean it's just uh but this is the this is the agenda to destroy what is called the white society which they don't like, and uh uh whites are, have fallen for this. To, right. that we, based on the idea, like you said, of, that they can't be intolerant. You know that if they're intolerant, they're some lower level of human being, and they're they're bigots, and that's not another favorite word they use. But well,
0: well, right. normal people have been bullied and and sexually depraved mm-hmm. is the the adjective I was looking for. Uh, I'm sorry that the um yeah you know first even from a non-Christian from a totally. A religious viewpoint, from a totally—if I have to use the Jew world word—from word, a totally secular viewpoint, the idea that an adult male or female defines himself by what he does in bed—that idea is repulsive from, from a totally mm-hmm. secular viewpoint. That's repulsive.
1: Yeah, well, that's, that's because feature. that's because sex is the uh, pinnacle of their experience and their interest and and what it's all about for them.
0: And it's absolutely horrible that this man's a fireman, this man's a doctor, this man's a lawyer, this man's a homosexual. That There's a problem here. Which one of these is not like the other? It, it, it's that their own game. You could play it against them, right? It, it's absolutely horrible just from a secular viewpoint that, that's, that people define themselves by what they are in bed. What they are in bed or what you do in bed should never even um, be mentioned in the public arena it never needs to be mentioned.
1: Yeah, because it's Matthew. it's an identity. Uh well now that they, you know at one time uh it was in the closet. Now there are people who are homosexual who do identify themselves by what they do, their you know, their professions and so on. It's, this has always been going on. And uh and if they really are oriented that way and they cannot, you know, help themselves and be happy otherwise or whatever, um, then everybody understands that. But when they, when it was in the closet, it was better. And now bringing it all out, and, and a good example is these gay pride parades, oh, which are so disgusting. disgusting. Yes, yeah, so unbelievable. Who, who should be expected to accept that? And so this shows how, how our whole way of thinking has been undermined. That we're supposed to uh, applaud that and enjoy it and say, "Oh, is not it nice? These people are able to be happy." Well, that's not, you know, that's, that's a whole different ball game from just these people who who feel that they're happier with a with a, a partner of the same sex. But you know, Bill, I agree with you. I think that a lot of this is being created, and that a lot of people who now want to want to uh, be gay or lesbian, I. Um, uh wouldn't have to be they wouldn't have to be, but they find that that's I think I have a theory that it 's easier uh to be uh, to live with someone of your own sex if you like them and get along with them and have uh, than it is someone of the opposite sex because the opposite sex uh there's a lot of work that has to be done all the time to for men and women to get along but that 's what it's all that's that 's how you have families. That's
0: where a real family is, well, and right. and, and, I, and yeah, the basic idea of life is to have families, and, and that's right. And and the purpose yeah. of sex is to have families. You know, to any and and I'm convinced of this. I I really am, and it would be hard not to convince not not to. It, it would be hard to dissuade me. The homosexual agenda is. and and I believe this is evident to anyone who ever investigated it, it's a Jewish agenda, which is especially evident when when groups such as NAMBLA and other high-profile homosexual advocacy groups are examined. You you scratch those groups, and and you'll find the names of Jews all over them. Uh, I mean, you go look at the NAMBLA website and see who's doing all their writing and their posting, and, and they're mostly Jews. And that that that's, uh, I mean, that's self-evident. Just go look. I've done it. it it's they are. Amazing. They are.
1: They're almost all Jews.
0: Hollywood is riddled with, and it's run by Jewish homosexuals. And three actors, Corey Feldman, John Travolta, and Mel Gibson, have all come out and said this, and Corey Feldman's a Jew, I I don't think he used the term Jewish to describe the people that had molested him, but he had admitted being molested. And and Gibson and Travolta both used the term Jew, and Travolta just recently, right? That Hollywood is run by Jewish homosexuals is no secret. The Jewish-controlled mainstream media is very accommodating to the homosexual agenda, and it should be no surprise that, that... that's their attitude. The first line of defense in our society should have been the school teachers themselves, and, and oh, well. none of them stand up. They were the first one. They knew. They saw. They experienced all of this coming. Most parents have no idea what their kids are getting. Well, into. I
1: don't think these school teachers have any idea what's going on either. They didn't see anything coming. They.
0: Well, well there's, I'm there's sure there's some, there's, dumb, but there's that they just repeated it, that they just went along with it, that they see it long before the parents do. Yeah, you know, they may not have seen it coming before it got to their guidebooks and their teaching manuals, but they that they saw it first.
1: Yeah, you know, when I was I I was I only taught full time for five years, but but when when I was uh, doing that, I I was so busy with my own class, and I had so many so many. You know, difficulties to deal with that I didn't uh, pay any attention to what other was going on elsewhere. But I will say this one, I, I learned more about what was going on in other parts of the school when I was substitute teaching because I was in a lot of different areas. And, um, and I do think uh, it's clear that a lot of the, uh, female coaches or, you know, physical education teachers, they all call them all coaches now, um, are homosexual, are, are lesbians. Um, and, you know, when I was – back when I was in school, in, in uh, junior high school, we had a physical education teacher, uh, just one, and uh, she was kind of man, a man acting. But I never – who would ever dream of anything like that, you know? But later my, my uh, friend from then uh, said, uh, oh, yeah, she was she, – she found out later. She said, oh, no, no questions about it. She was, uh, she was a lesbian. And, and when I was in the, my local school here, I – I substituted for some coaches fairly uh, often there for a while. It was kind of an easy job, and uh, they uh, and one of them who was really nice, really nice. I mean, everybody liked her. She was a favorite coach. Uh, she was absolutely uh, lesbian. So, uh, but I don't think that the male, the men coaches are not gay. Cause that you know doesn't fit. But the, and, and so uh, and they they're the ones who teach the health classes. You know, from the, the physical education uh, they they have, the, they teach a sex education and so on for the most part. So uh, well, what's well, going they, on we'll with people here. who uh, believe it and the rest of them aren't really paying any attention?
0: I, I guess, but but this, you know, school teachers in, in every um, aspect of, of our culture ha- have, and, and in every discipline I think they've failed to, to act at all. To well, they're, they're
1: not, they're not the best people i i was you know uh they're not very smart they're not very principled. they don't stand up they're just most of them they just get this job because it, it's a, they can manage to become a you know a, a public school teacher and uh the standards aren't too high and they uh and then they just want to keep their job and and get their pay until they get their retirement that's it You know, if you they always show on TV these programs, you know, some super duper teacher, you know. and about, so a, those are yeah, far
0: I complete. Not and a claim to shot at all. I'm sorry, I haven't watched
1: television since. <laughs> well, I haven't either, but I know that um, that there are those uh, are used, to, and there's been some movies, you know, about these special teachers who took these wayward kids and made them into geniuses and so on. Uh, that's not typical.
0: Probably Negroes.
1: Yeah, yeah, Negro or or, or Hispanic class uh, like that there was a famous one in, in, from a teacher in California who made all these uh, Mexicans into uh, math geniuses, which is true story, I guess you know, and they did win win some big uh, uh, competition. Anyway, there's um. One of the people on this uh, NPR program that was talking about sex education was the director of a general social survey at the University of Chicago's National Opinion Research. Anyway, he said that um, homosexuality as part of sex education was supported by 73% of the public for high school classes. Now, that's that um, was in 2006. Well, where did they take that
0: poll? In Greenwich Village?
1: Well, maybe in... Maybe in uh, he was He's from the University of Chicago, so maybe in Illinois, but I don't know. But, but you know, still that means 27% opposed it. Now, most people will say, Bill, that uh, sex education, oh, sure, it's important because, you know, they're, they're, they don't want to be responsible for it. Parents don't even want to be. They think all the schools can do a good job and, do you know, do this. But then uh, 68% thought it was uh, okay for middle school classes. Now, middle school, you know, that's 6th grade, 7th grade, maybe 8th grade uh, at the most. Um, and so, But that means 32% opposed it. But this guy said that um, that there's a substantial majority that believes it's appropriate to have sex education, but that um, uh, they don't agree that it should be teaching uh homosexuality as an equal and alternative lifestyle. See, these parents think that they're, they're teaching their kids something better than what they are, you know, and they don't, they don't pay enough attention because particularly if both parents are working.
0: Well, one so, of the admissions in my article is that parents, that the compulsory educational system has um, basically afforded parents the, the ability to abdicate responsibility for their children's sure. education. There's no doubt sure. about that. I, well, you
1: abdicate that. not only the, you know teaching them, but you abdicate their moral education and their sexual education. Well, well, and well, and they, do think, they do think they're learning morals in well,
0: school. When education became compulsory, morals and sex were not a part of the equation. No. They're, they're only recent parts of the equation. Even when I was a child... Most of the kids that I knew, the white kids that went to public school, they went to Sunday school on Sundays and, and to a church Sunday school.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And they learned morals in, in the church Sunday school. Well, maybe. They, they were told, <laughs> right, 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 right.
1: I've been in Sunday school right. too. I don't know what I learned. <laughs>
0: Well, well that's, that's part of the conclusion of my article. But basically, we can have Sodom or we can have Gomorrah, and and, and we, I'm sorry, we can have Sodom and Gomorrah, or we can have the Garden of God. And and uh, I mean, we've we've been bullied into having Sodom and Gomorrah in in this nation, and we have to resist it. Well, we can't lay down and take that. We have to resist it.
1: Well, we have to resist it, and you know, today uh, they have. Uh, Films, videos, and all this stuff available to kids. So they say, well, they're seeing all this junk and they're seeing all this pornography even. They can get on and look at pornography and so on. And uh, so they, they need this education to straighten, you know, to teach them what's, what's really what they'll the well, be all. Confused. The Jews
0: know, the Jews know, as I've quoted, they know what this exposure is doing to our children. They know that it, it, it is causing our children to be sexually active, um, to, to be basically whores. Uh, a nation of pigs is basically what we've raised, but, but the Jews know this. They know that exposure to these things, the role-playing, the films that they see, they know that this entices our children to follow those behavioral patterns Patterns that they witness at these young ages.
1: Well, I agree. Yeah, they 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 do know. They know what they're doing. They're doing it on purpose. But I'm saying, what uh, what would we do about it? Uh, besides, you know, if we say, well, we're we're against any of this sex education in school, I'm against it. I, I think uh, in health you might learn some things about your body, but you should learn about how to take care of your body health wise. You don't need to learn about sex. People people learn, you know, this idea that, oh, they're going to learn this terrible stuff on the street corner, this is how people have learned about sex forever, you know, not necessarily on a street corner, but, I mean, you just learn about it. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it's been damaging to kids not to know every little detail about sex and all the different ways that sex is performed and all the different kind of homosexual families you can have. and. Well, well,
0: I learned about it on the street corner. I had two wives and six kids. I, I didn't do bad. I'm just making a joke, right? But, but yeah, it's not. No, um, you're right. I went to school for ten years and, and never had sex education in Catholic school.
1: And yeah, I, I don't think I don't think we need to have that in school. We should be learning, teaching, uh, reading, writing, arithmetic. You know, uh, European education used to be just the uh, the. the the best kind of education, if you were in, in the good schools, not everybody did get to go to those schools, but only if you showed, uh, you know, uh, if you showed accomplishment in your studies, then you, then you were a candidate to go on into what they call gymnasium or what we call high school. But uh, they, these were wonderful schools. This was, this was real teaching. This was real education going on uh, in these schools, but they didn't teach sex education. And what happened to all those people? They grew up just fine and had married and had families and and uh, were a lot better than the people we have today, who are all junked out on uh, movies and well, well absolutely. Tarno and but stuff. We have Sodom and, and, and who and who has brought that about? Jews. The rise of Jews. The the, the, the uh, what's what that called when the Jews got nuts? I keep thinking of egalitarian, but. The, the liberation, you know, of the Jews in our societies, in, in the societies in Europe, uh, when they got a, to equal rights with every, everybody else, uh, everything started changing. They're the ones who brought all this about. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Uh, absolutely. That was the reason for my opening statements. That, yeah. um, oh, okay, well, it's been a pleasure, Carolyn, and, and I didn't get to present my whole article, but...
1: Well, go on. Well, you want to do a little bit no, more no,
0: of it? No, no, uh, We We've discussed all the important points, and, and that's fine. And and uh, I think it was a good program, and it was a pleasure to have you here. And and um, I, I will put a link to the article, which is on the Saxon Messenger site, with, with this podcast on Christoginney. Well,
1: thank you, Bill.
0: Okay, that, that's the Judas goats, and, and that's the way I characterize it. I, I really believe that our school system, and, and it, it's been trained to lead the sheep to slaughter. Uh, our teachers have been taught, and, and it it's, may not be all voluntary, but... One way or the other, they've been taught to lead our children to slaughter, and, yes, parents have abdicated their responsibility. And, and we should take charge of our own children's education. And I know that more than anybody because I've had I, – I was an absentee father. I was a forced absentee father. I'll leave it at that. And um, I didn't have the opportunity to raise my own six children, and that's sad. And, and I basically – lost five of them to what I would consider to be the ways of the world. That's the way it is and, and that's unfortunate. But but um that that's what a good public school education affords one today. It's it's totally destructive. And it's a miracle if any of our children make it out of public schools today with a, a, and, and maintain a healthy Christian attitude. That itself would be a miracle. Praise Yahweh. Thank you for listening. I will be here on Friday with um, the Gospel of Luke, Chapter 1,
1: Part 2. Good night.